Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all today. My friends, I ate at a diner the other day that was so damn good. It's called Al's Breakfast, and it passed my test where the best diners all close around the hours of 2 in the afternoon, maybe 3 o'clock if they're feeling fancy. But this place was incredible. You had to wait outside because it was so small and also COVID, but uh, they only had like maybe 12 stools, and it was just incredible. Everything was homemade. Some of the best pancakes I had in my life, great syrup. I'm telling you, y'all, I think we got to get Diner Talks filming in there. So we got to figure out how to get Al's breakfast to let me in there and do some filming. But either way, my friends, either way, that's besides the point. Hope you've eaten some good food. It is the holidays after all. At least that's when I'm recording this and it'll come out shortly thereafter. But I uh, hope you all did well and got surrounded by loved ones. And maybe you got some cool things in your stockings or in your whatever your gifts come in. Okay, let's keep it moving now before I say something wrong. Y'all, I'm pumped to have my guest on today. I asked her a very long time ago, and she was like, nah, I don't do that. Nah, I'm I'm bigger than that. Um, But uh, finally got her on. Becky and I met each other on Clubhouse a number of years ago. And by years ago, I mean one year ago, almost to the day, probably right around one year ago, uh, we met. And uh, she's one of the funniest people that I got to meet on Clubhouse. And, And since then, I've just enjoyed getting to learn the way her brain works. We have very dry senses of humor, which work great during inappropriate times. And I'm just excited for you to hear her and her absolutely ridiculous stories. Let me tell you a little bit about Becky Smoke. The year was 1987, the month January. And as the sun rose on the final day of the first week of the new year, a blessed baby. All right. And we, we don't skip over that part of the bio here way to write that though becky um (laughs) becky is a founder owner and goat wrangler and dishwasher of becky's mindful kitchen a cooking school in the midwest home to summer camps retreats workshops and most importantly bachelorette parties but after 10 years of studying mindfulness leadership and stoic philosophy we will come back to that she now focuses on mindful leadership consulting and speaking But fear not, she still does live on the land and can split her own wood, uses a chainsaw regularly, teaches archery and fire starting. She makes soaps and candles and skincare products to gift to people. Basically, if her eyes are open, her hands are busy, is Becky's philosophy. She's got two great daughters and a bonus daughter at that. She's married and a type 1 diabetic who's almost died a few times casual well let's bring her out now as long as she's alive coming to the table right now at diner talks shout out to becky smoke hey you know what i should have realized that you were gonna read what i actually wrote (laughs) that last little bit i was like i don't want to do full sentences anymore and that's why i just was like random facts oh funny it's okay Um, i'm capable of adding a uh I can't think of any sentence structure of words right now, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Conjugation. <laughs> sure, like there it is. Yeah, let's call it that. Yeah. Becky, um, how are you today, friend? I am good. As we mentioned uh, earlier in our chit-chat, it is snowing, so it finally feels like winter. It's just mm-hmm. a few days too late for Christmas. I think that yeah. makes us a good snowman for our talk today. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> this is a winner already. <laughs> 
Thank God you don't edit. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Not a bit. Uh, Becky, this show is called Diner Talks with James. And uh, one thing that I know you know, because you are one of the few people I know that listens to it, um, (laughs) is that, that, you know, I love to start these shows off by hearing people's late night eating guilty pleasures. So I'm curious for you, as someone who has very capable culinary skills – you're probably not going out somewhere, but are you, are you, are you whipping something up? Is there something that you like to eat late at night? You know, I talk to a lot of chefs and like their guilty pleasure late at night is like Chinese food or something like that. But what are, what are you doing later in the evening? Okay. So I live in the country, so there's no like late night going anywhere. Right. Cause that would <laughs> a lot of effort. Um, however, I am a, like, I'm a cold cut gal. So like last mm-hmm. night it was pulling out some salami, some prosciutto, like, and like, oh, like in cheese. So like meat and cheese. And then to be honest, I eat a bag of popcorn every night. I can't go to bed, like in bed, a bag of popcorn. Mm-hmm. And I make sure to leave extra like kernels and stuff on my husband's side of the bed because <laughs> I feel like he loves it. He says he hates it, but I think he actually enjoys like rolling over and feeling that popcorn. It makes him... <laughs> Makes him feel extra alive. So that's my thing. It's a really weird habit. Entire bag of popcorn every night. Entire bag. Like, are you talking like one of like the the small little ones? Or are you like going to town on like some big old honking bag of popcorn? No, I get the Paul Newman um, microwave popcorn. And so that way, like part of it goes to charity. So I'm doing a good deed every night. And it's like, (laughs) that's how I, (laughs) no, I don't get the individual ones because like, that's not enough, but I make sure to always have it not completely popped. Like there's always enough kernels at the bottom. So that way it's like, I didn't eat the whole bag. Like, yeah, you can mess yeah. with your husband too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. usually get the Randy Newman popcorn that sings to me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really clever. As it pops, it's like it sings a song. Yeah, a very sad song. Or if it was like the Seinfeld Newman, so each pop instead of a popping goes Newman, Newman. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, we could run with our Newmans for a while. We could just do this. Yeah. yeah, that sounds good. I feel like that's what people want. Mm-hmm. I had some popcorn. I'm, I'm a, uh, I enjoy popcorn at movie theaters and other locations as well. But my favorite thing about eating popcorn at the movie theater is at the end of the movie, when the lights come on and I'm just covered in it and I get another snack. I'm like, ooh, and I get to oh, yeah. eat it off of my belly. So I know there is a <laughs> lot of cleavage popcorn that's eaten. Um, throughout the times and like especially when I love making caramel corn so I make my own cheese like I do my Chicago mix mm-hmm. a lot oh yeah so sure yeah that's my thing yeah yeah uh, I'm not a fa- I, it's funny I love all as I love cheese in pretty much every form except in like powdered form so I don't love like cheese popcorn or uh, and some like some of those kinds of things it's that's a weird time where I'm like no nah, I can't do it even like, what about macaroni and cheese? Like, you never do like box mac and cheese? Yeah, I think the Velveeta is better than Blue Box. Wow. That's right. This is it. really, wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, you know, I can't say like I eat it from the bag like the, or like shake it into my mouth, but yeah. I, I do enjoy it on some popcorn. So that's fair. Yeah, Tina. Yeah, it's great because when we do get the Chicago mix, Tina doesn't love the caramel corn as much. And so she eats the cheese popcorn and I eat the caramel. Well, you guys are a match made in heaven. I know, right? We're that so is like cute. It's like, oh, I don't like olives. And then you find out like, oh, I've actually always have like, you know, that whole thing. You're yeah. going to find out that she absolutely loves caramel corn, but she's been letting you have it all these years. I wouldn't doubt it because we're both giant accommodators. <laughs> 
<laughs> so she definitely is Minnesota nice. <clears throat> um, so yeah, unless you cross her the wrong way, in which case she's New Jersey sassy. But well, I, I was hoping you were going to ask me about diners because my favorite diner memories are in Minnesota. Oh, really? Tell me about that's one. the only time I because I used to go because I have family like in Minnesota, and so like every winter, winter, not winter. I'm not an idiot. Summer. Um, my <laughs> uh, my grandmother would drive with us and my grandpa. They would drive from California. We drive up to Minnesota and stay in a cabin. And we would always stop by the diners. And so, like, mine was, like, the biscuits and gravy, like, sausage and gravy. That was mm-hmm. the only time I got it was, like, those summers. Then my grandpa died of lung cancer and then never again. So that's that's how that ended. There we go. There we oh. go. Like <laughs> what a delightful down. left turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do that for you. Haven't yeah. eaten at a diner since. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's I just, great. Yep, there you go. And rest in peace to Grandpa, too. Yeah, he was a good one. Good egg. I believe it. I believe it. So now, where were you born and raised? You currently live in the metropolis of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you're not you're not born Iowan, correct? No, no. If I was, then it'd be very strange in my bio, the fact that I was born overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Um, oh, and then like, know. Yeah, you know, it's a very high <laughs> building. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I was born in San Diego. And then my parents moved to Iowa when I was like two years old. Um, and so my dad works in the university here, just like everyone else. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, I grew up in Iowa City and then just like sea turtles do, I went back to the same part of San Diego. <laughs> After I graduated college, I had my first child there and then moved back to Iowa. And so I've let her know that she needs to do the same thing, that like she has to go to San Diego like get knocked up, birth mm-hmm. there, and then come back to Iowa. It's yeah, what we yeah. do. That's our tradition, you know, family <laughs> tradition. Use tradition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, it's it's nice here. I'm glad my dad could have moved to Seattle or Iowa, and he chose Iowa, and I'm glad he did. Is what I tell myself. There you go. Okay. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Seattle versus Iowa, constant debate in most people's minds. Uh, <laughs> But home, I mean, the Midwest does has a way, does have a way of calling people back to it. I've noticed. Uh, I am definitely. Um, I've, most of the people that I've met here, if I've met, if I've met a couple, there's one that's from here, and then one that was somehow dragged and convinced to come back to here, not come back, just come to here mm-hmm. for the first time. That's what I've noticed. Housing prices, cost of living, those are things that usually, and then grandparents. And grandparents. Like, yeah. Grandparents. Those are the the top three. That'll do it. <laughs> so what were you like as a child becky were you uh i mean you are an extremely active person right now you're constantly doing something building something creating dreaming uh etc cetera, etc cetera. your hands are in motion um so have you always been a, a rambunctious doer of things or you know, like what were you when you were what were you like when you were younger what you want to be when you grew up oh so um, well, when I was younger, I was very active. I'm in the middle of two, two sisters. So I'm the middle child. Um, so that meant like, I definitely was deprived as the middle child and not loved as much. And, and so when, when you're the middle child, you have to really make it on your own. Uh, no, I was, I was fun. Um, uh, my older sister, they always say she never smiled or laughed until I was born. And cause she's so serious. And then mm. it was my job just to kind of be, the goofball of the family, which is, which is great, but it's also sometimes sucks. You know, it's a lot of pressure when your job is to make people laugh um, mm-hmm. and be funny. And then 
uh, when you have your own stuff going on. Like it's not, it's, you have to kind of figure out where your identity is on that. So yeah, I was active. I did, um, I guess, uh, you don't probably know this. I was a competitive ice skater. Oh, fun fact. In San Diego or back when you came to Iowa? No, I came to Iowa when I was like two. And so I definitely oh, okay. like didn't start the competitive circuit until I was about three. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, So sure. I started, yeah. No, I, I did competitive figure skating and soccer. I refused to go to the girls' soccer team and was like the only girl on like the co-ed team. One, like one other girl was on the co-ed team in sixth grade. Everyone else went to the girls' team. And I was like, no, this is way more fun to play with boys. So there. Uh, and and yeah, and so like it was, and it was neat because I got to meet Michelle Kwan, who's like my one of my ice wow. skating heroes, on my birthday, January 2020, um, right before the pandemic hit. That was really cool. That's that incredible. Was cool. she just randomly in Iowa? She just like popping by, you know. Uh, she was uh, campaigning <laughs> actually for uh, Joe Biden. Okay. And uh, so I went and I got to to meet her and like fangirl out. It was a lot of fun of that because like she I was and then like I had to let her know like I think if anyone my age remembers when Tara Lipinski beat her for the gold Mm -hmm. and like I I won't talk about it because like I'll get very upset about it um but like I had to like let her know that my little sister loved Tara Lipinski and that it like caused this huge rift in our family and like I gotta like shit on my sister to michelle kwan and like she wasn't around but it felt like such triumphant like payback to finally get to be like hey colleen guess what i told yeah. michelle kwan that you sucked that you like taylor pinsky it was cool <laughs> we don't have any sister issues anymore no we're good yeah, no you all yeah. sound great yeah that was 2020 that was before the pandemic all family yeah. stuff got healed during the pandemic right. um <laughs> said every family ever right now yeah. in that moment was michelle kwan like was she on board or was she like oh great another weird she was so cool yeah she's like okay she's like i think 40 but she looks the same holy cow <laughs> i like she's beautiful and gorgeous and she's so sweet and kind and it was awesome it was such a great moment and then um and then COVID game so there you know, is. if you want to like make that correlation, you can, but, um, I don't they say never meet your heroes. Yeah. They say... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the great thing is I like uh, to another random fact, like, cause she was campaigning for Jill Biden. Mm-hmm. My other weird, if you want a, an awkward story, funny, weird story fact, I, is I had an entire conversation with Jill Biden once and I didn't know it was Jill Biden. And I had a conversation that I would not have had with Jill Biden had I known it was Jill Biden. Uh, I was campaigning for Barack Obama mm-hmm. and Joe Biden in 08. I couldn't decide. So I was flipping between the two. And <laughs> I was at an event. And so like I would switch my shirts between like an Obama shirt for the volunteering. And then I like quickly switched to like the Biden one. And it was at the very beginning. And it was still before you had social. I don't know. And I was I was standing behind a dark tent. Um, this Iowa. I weren't a like fairgrounds. Um, shocker. And I was talking to this woman and I couldn't see her too well. And I was wearing my Obama shirt at the time. And I was telling her how I was switching between the two campaigns and um, that, you know, I couldn't all this stuff. And she's just, you know, we're just talking about politics. And she goes, well, you know, I think, you know, Joe would be just happy to be number two to Obama. Like Obama's really great. She's so kind of, and then all of a sudden, like they announced like, okay, next up, like Dr. Jill Biden. And then she's like, okay, it was great talking to you. And she walks on stage and I'm just standing there going, Oh fuck. And I, was like, <laughs> I just told her. <laughs> and that was just whole thing about like, and, but it was, she was, it was such a cool moment though, because like, it was just that humility of her saying like, yeah, you know, like we don't have any issue 
with mm-hmm. like being two, number two to Obama and at the very beginning of the campaign. And that's what they ended up being. So it worked out. So in other words, Joe Biden can tell the future. <laughs> the moral of the story is definitely that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was it. That and also like make sure you know who you're talking to and don't run your mouth. <laughs> carry a flashlight um, yes. during dark conversations um, <laughs> uh, that is awesome you know back when you were figure skating did you have a uh, a signature move were you like a triple axle double lutz or like what were you what were you doing out there um so it was no i didn't have a signature move i quit as i was like doing my axle. And the reason I quit was because my, my coach said to me that I had to make ice skating my number one priority. She's like, Mm -hmm. ice skating needs to be number one priority. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I'm 13 years old. And like I said, figure skating is my number three. I said, school's first, then the cello and then figure skating. And she's like, well, you'll never make it. And I was like, well, that's cool. And then I was like, hey, mom, let's quit. And my mom's like, okay, awesome, because this is really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, this. Because I went, I was up every morning. I would figure skate before school every single morning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, that was, that was my life. And I can't believe how early I'd get up and we'd do it. And I'd come to, you know, I'd be on the rink at 6 a.m. And, and doing that was a lot of work. So it was, I had no so, problem yeah. understanding my priority list then. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna happen. Shout out to the cello too. Uh, probably the most beautiful of the uh, the string instruments. I started when I was three years old. <laughs> I'm I, noticing a pattern. <laughs> everything starts at three. No, I kid you not. I wanted to play bagpipes really okay. bad at age three, <laughs> and my parents weren't super like excited about that one. Yeah. Um. So weird. Uh. And I want to play bagpipes, and then I went to a recital, and I saw this really pretty high schooler, this girl played the cello. And I was like, Oh, I like, she looked like a princess to me. And I was like, I want to like, I of course understood that. Like if you play cello, you look like her. Um, that's how that works. And so I said to my parents, I want to play cello. And they were very excited about that, um, over the bagpipes. So I started when I was three years old. I did. I literally, I legit started at age three and, uh, played, um, all through high school and toured Europe and it was a lot of fun. That is incredible. I'm also trying to picture a three-year-old with a cello. It looks um, like a violin. It does look like a violin. It looks like a large <laughs> violin. Pretty much, yeah. Great. It looks like a viola. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They're small. They're very tiny. Yeah. 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 Adorable. So, it was, I had a Russian um, cello teacher in high school who didn't speak English. And mm-hmm. so, like, we communicated in, in Russian. And um, it was it was cool. I learned... I learned how to understand Russian decently. I couldn't speak it very well, yeah. but yeah, she scared the shit out of me too. <laughs> in a very hairy upper lip. And it just would get very close to me. And I'd be like, oh my God. It was just, yeah. Those were the, that's what they paid for. It was, I'm very grateful for the experience. Again, looking back at the amount of money my parents spent yeah. on our activities is just mind boggling. Mm-hmm so dumb yeah i mean because i mean yes obviously instruments I mean, cello i mean string instruments are notoriously extremely expensive too especially if you try to get some great ones popping out of stradivarius you know what i mean that's uh that's about mm-hmm. as much as a whole bunch of figure skating lessons um yeah. but uh, and some ice time for sure um but that's uh that's cool that you at, at that age um where you're when your figure skating uh, coach was like 
what is it, what's it going to be for you that you knew that, you know, you had your priorities in line, but it's also interesting because, you know, as I read your bio out loud and as we talk, like you can already sense this building of, you got a lot going on, right? There's a lot of things that you dive into because yes, figure skating wasn't your number one or your number two, but it was still something that you were getting up and dedicating yourself to, right? You, were, you weren't half-assing it necessarily. Um, and you're playing the cello at three and you're someone who always has a lot of things going on. So when you were growing up and, and as you were transitioning to trying to make decisions about what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? How did you narrow it down? Or did you never really want to? And so you just kind of haven't. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, um, considering the fact that like, we're like, I think I'm going to become falconers and add falconry to the property. I say like, I still do uh, <laughs> like thing. like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. Um, I, I always have the mindset of like winners quit of the idea that like you know like it like it's like if you want to win you got to quit things and like understand like hey this isn't me and so i never i would go all in on on really on shit that i loved and then i figured out how to coast on things that i didn't love but i recognized the value of so like i love cross country and so like i was all in on that and i like that was huge in my life i didn't love track and so like mm -hmm. i kind of coasted through it in the senior year i quit because i was like this isn't really how i want to spend my time and so i think that's and that's what i do with my business being like okay cool sunk cost right like this is not like mm -hmm. just because i i did this before doesn't mean i need to continue to do it so i'm a big fan of quitting that's awesome <laughs> Big, you heard it here first. Big, big fan, fan of quitting. Yeah, big, yeah, yeah. Quit. <laughs> That's when I go into schools and talk to them about like leadership. I'm like, hey guys, like first things first, like let's talk about quitting. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't need to do this <laughs> school thing. Yeah. But. but it's cool because you at least, uh, you try things, right? Like you, you invest in them, you put forth effort and then, and then it's making the decision of like, no, this ain't it. But it's mm -hmm. not like, you're necessarily judging things from afar and being like, no, I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't do that. Cause I think we both know a lot of people that are trying to figure out what to do, who they are, why they want to do what they want to do or et cetera, that are sitting around waiting for the idea to come and smack them across the face, as opposed to like, you need to be, if you want to catch the football, you got to put yourself in the path of the football now. I'm right. And you have put yourself in the path of a number of different footballs to try to catch and figure out if that's what you want to run with. Um, as opposed to waiting for someone to be like, come, come my daughter, let me show you the way. And this is what you will do. Right. And so that's been, that's been kind of cool to, to learn about you, to see, to witness. Um, Cause even in the time that we've be, that we've become friends, um, I feel like you've had a number of different passions that have kind of leveled up and leveled down and we're kind of adding this and we're adding that. And there's times where we get on the phone and we'll talk about something. And, and then all of a sudden on Instagram, the next week, you'll be doing something completely different that we hadn't even mentioned. Like, Oh yeah, we just decided to build a, a goat factory in the back of the house um, or whatever. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> goat house, goat, please, whatever. Please tell me what a goat factory yeah, would do. Cause apparently, yeah. Cause you do guys, just in case you don't understand, like you actually make goats in a factory. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, they are produced in a factory <laughs> is how you make them. Yep. They aren't born. You heard it here first. You heard it yeah. here first. Yeah. That works. Um, more, you know, uh, yeah, I, 
<laughs> I am somebody that, uh, I say one of my downfalls, one of my like things that I don't think is a huge, it, it works for me, but also works against me is I am incredibly driven mm-hmm. and very high, like high energy, not in the sense that like I am, if I'm at a party, I am not the life of the party. Like I am, I'm in my corner. I got my like friends and I'll, I'll have a great time, but I don't, I'm not that the bouncing off the walls person at all, but I will haul stones and rocks for 12 hours straight and then get inside, cook a five course meal and then get on my computer and like work. Like I like, I don't stop. I am the energizer bunny in that. And I'm so driven. And when I do something like it is done well, and I don't, and it's not, I'm not a perfectionist because I have zero issue and be like, you know what? That's not worth it to be perfect like that. But yeah, I don't half-ass anything. So yeah, we didn't build a goat factory, build a goat cottage, which again, I keep forgetting it's not a thing because you can't go to people and be like, oh yes, this is for my goat cottage. Um, we were building another goat barn and I decided to make it look like a cottage. And so it has like a white picket fence and shutters and there's um, a little wine bar inside too mm-hmm. um, that we chatted. a wine bar inside? <laughs> yes, there is because... <laughs> for the be- goats? Because... <laughs> or the um, red parties. <laughs> Both. Um, right. We had somebody give us some shells that they got off like Wayfair or something like that. They're like, hey, we got these shells and they're too rustic and we didn't have to return them. And they were like for like a, a was it like a wet bar. Is that what you'd call it? Like yep. where you have like the, and I was like, cool. And I couldn't figure out where to put them in our house. And I was like, oh, they work perfect in the goat barn. And I forgot that it has the thing for like the wine glasses. And so um, I now have like a bottle of wine and wine glasses out there. So when I go and I want to hang out with the goats, I can have some wine. Works out great. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas mom, mom doesn't drink in the closet. No kids. She drinks in the goat cottage. In the Um, goat cottage. In the goat cottage. Yeah. That's why you have have to call it a cottage because there's the wine bars out there. And now it's got to be called a cottage. (laughs) But truly, if you go to Becky's Mindful Kitchen on Instagram, you can see pictures of this goat cottage. It truly is beautiful. Um, And random as fuck. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. So, Becky... We, we, we got cross country, we got cello, we got, you know, uh, you know, every, every, every question I ask, we get a new passion in here. We got goats, we got falconry, um, we got cooking. Um, so when, when you decided to open Becky's mindful kitchen, what, what would tell me, tell me the impetus behind that? When, when was that? Were you, was that just kind of like another thing of like, Hey, let me, let me add another thing on. I'm already an accountant, uh, a low level sir, trauma surgeon. And uh, let me open up this or like, what, what was the impetus behind starting Becky's mindful kitchen? I am a goat surgeon. So sure, I have, I have done surgery on goats and chickens. Um, <laughs> occasional human, um, you know, side business, everyone. Uh, yeah. It's not, no, it wasn't random. What it was is I got diagnosed with type one diabetes when my firstborn was like a year old. Mm. And I started diving into looking at food and because I grew up eating organic food and I didn't really understand nutrition to the degree I wanted to. And I also grew up cooking and my parents, they were wonderful in so many ways. And I think the one thing I appreciate most, um, you know, above and beyond the cello lessons and ice skating was travel. And so we traveled around Europe a lot as a child. And so I got to learn how to cook from people all around the world. And, and I loved it. And so I loved cooking. I looked, got into like what is like, what's healthy eating actually all about? 
all that crap. I started going to people's homes. They had to say like, hey, can you come in and, and help teach me how to cook? And I was like, okay. I was like, this is interesting. And I was a single mom at the time and um, living at home with my parents, like like all should do at some point or another. And I realized the potential for a business. So I started teaching classes more at a local culinary um, school. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to start my own cooking school. And so I did. And I've, it started very simple and it's grown tremendously. And since COVID, it's very much expanded. So um, we, we built a second location, like a new house. Mm -hmm. We were the builders for it. So we were our own general contractors, built a house in, uh, in 2019 and built a commercial kitchen in the basement. So I have a separate entrance and everything. So no one ever has to go through my house and, and we were in there for, yeah, about seven months before the pandemic hit and used that time to really add on a lot. So, yeah, it's been – give me a pandemic and I will make an entire, like, fairy tale treehouse, um, goat cottage, and zip lines, archery course, you know, the, the usual. Um, but it's been, it's been cool because it has expanded. And I've allowed myself, I think, James, like, is – and I see this in you where we understand the value of, of having that – that red thread, right? That thing that, that that connects all we do, you know, your North Star, your purpose, whatever you fuck want to call it, is by having that and, and allowing that to guide you instead of allowing, you know, the narrative or expectations or the thought of like, oh, this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. Because by giving myself that freedom, I was able to like test things out and be like, okay, this is not what I want to do, or this sounds cool. And like you said, like, it might look really random to a lot of people, but there's usually a, a purpose to it. And then with the the change of kind of going to more of the mindfulness and the leadership stuff, I've been silently doing that for a little while to make sure that it wasn't a, a one-off, that it wasn't going to be something that I decided wasn't high in my priority, that it wasn't going to be ice skating. You know, it's going to be a lifelong thing. Yeah. 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 I have zero idea what your question was, by the way. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, type uh, finding out that you're type one diabetic is is certainly uh, a wall to run into at first, and then fi- you got to figure stuff out. You don't just keep on keeping on. Um, like life changes once you find out that you're type one diabetic. Um, and so, uh, you know, <laughs> in your bio, you talked about d- almost dying a few times. Um, yeah. and, and I believe it because it, it is a very, uh, it's a very serious thing to live with. And so, um, as she checks her insulin pump. Um, I know. Like, <laughs> well, in case there's any, because there's us type ones, there's not a ton of us, but there, there's always some random one of us places. Um, yeah. Um, I've had a, my, my blood sugar uh, refuses to come down. So I think I have a bad site. Um, but yeah, so if anyone's like, if you understand blood sugar, my blood sugar has been around 350 this entire conversation. And so my mouth is very dry. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I keep trying to silently sip water. Yeah, so type one, I have almost died. There was one time that was um, too close to make me feel good inside. Um, not that most like almost dying things are like a feel good experience. Um, but the, yeah, like, and, and that one was one where if it wasn't for, I was living at home because we were building our house. So I was living at home with my parents, with my kids and my husband and, and all that. And my father had left for work. And he forgot something. And so he ended up having to come back. And it's because he came back that he found me on the floor with my three-year-old, like with her hands underneath my head, trying to like wake mommy up. 
And mm-hmm. like, if he hadn't come home, I don't know what would have happened. Well, yeah. I do. Oh, I do. And it is not a, a happy thing that would have happened. Um, and so it's, it's those moments though, that like they do impact you. And that's why I hold with me that the stoic thought of like memento mori, like we all are going to die. Like everyone's going to die. That's a guarantee. Like, and, and to think that you have a ton of control over when that's going to happen is a bit silly. So live every day. It's, you know, as if it's your last, yeah. as it might be. Yeah. 10 out of 10 doctors agree. We will die someday. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's horrifying, Becky. Um, the image uh, of, of your daughter holding your head. And I mean, I mean, the image that your dad had to witness coming home. I mean, I'm sure it's one that um, it didn't leave his brain <clears throat> um, either. Uh, and that's, uh, that's so, that's so much. And, you know, it's interesting because you're not just, uh, it's so much more than a cooking school, what you started, right? And I know that you're moving into leadership consulting and, and whatnot. And I'm excited to talk to you about that. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this one word right in the middle, right? Becky's mindful kitchen, where mindfulness has been a piece of everything that you've done. And it's, and so I'm wondering, where does, where does mindfulness come into um, your work in your life? Like, is that something that, is this something you had always been practicing or once you became type one diabetic, did you then start, you know, whether it was, whether it was meditating or, or do you say mindfulness is, I know you, you avid uh, reader of philosophy, um, or, or whatnot, you know, what is, what does mindfulness mean to you so much so that you're like, you know what, it's going right in the middle of the name of the business. (laughs) Okay. All right. So truth be told, I am my, uh, my, my original name who's mindful. <laughs> my middle name is mindful. Um, so that would be a really not great middle name. Um, so uh, yes, mindful. The reason I went with that, I didn't do anything with it. Okay. The mindfulness part of my business, James was not apparent in, in my business until really like the, the 2020, mm. um, and, and it had been eaten. The reason why is because while like I had spent, you know, for the last 10 years, like I said, like special last 10 years, like studying mindfulness and leadership and philosophy and all that and all that stuff is I was still very actively like bulimic. And I felt like I was mm-hmm. such a fraud and that haunted me. And I just like never felt like I could incorporate mindfulness or like mindful eating any of that it's like i felt so silly that people would you know come here to you know becky's mindful kitchen and i'd be talking about like healthy eating and all that and then uh you know be like binging and purging and like it just didn't and it, it drove me crazy and it was really starting to get to me um and realizing like in starting kind of 2018 when i had like a pretty nasty relapse and stuff and um i was like this isn't going to like my business will never become what it needs to be if I keep this a secret. And it mm-hmm. took me until October of 2020 to, to make it public. And it was so fascinating because I did tell a few friends when I was like having to go, I went and try some recovery places and all that. And, um, you know, kind of try to bring them into the fold. And I had some people who didn't believe me. Like they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't believe me that I was struggling with this because they, because I had done such a good job of fooling everyone. And, um, and to that, that's why I always let people know, like, you don't know anyone's story because there's no way anyone would have known what I was doing. I did such a great job. I was so good. I was 
been doing it for 20 plus years. I was fantastic <laughs> at living the double life. Like very talented. Again, my poor husband, because I'm like, dude, I am so good at lying. And he's like, not what I want to hear. Um, uh, and so it was, it, but once I was able, because I started writing about mindfulness more and I saw people really enjoying it. And I was like, damn it, I still can't type and write about this if I'm not completely honest. And so once in October of 2020, when I like, you know, ripped the bandaid off, then all of a sudden it was like, boom, like the, the mindfulness became real and, yeah. and, and BMK, Becky's Mindful Kitchen finally actually became Becky's Mindful Kitchen. Until then, it was just, it was just a word. Mm -hmm. It was a word that was, you know, I wanted it to be part of it, but it, I couldn't, I could never get there until now. So that's, that's that. Yeah. That's I appreciate that. the self-awareness about that. Ironically. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and it is, uh, it, it's evident now as you know, you check out your website as you have conversations with you that it is, uh, though, though it took it a minute, it took a minute for it to show up and somewhere besides just the name, it is very evident that it is heavily practiced in the work that you do now. Right. <clears throat> um, and so about seven years for it to show up. Yeah. I've been doing this for a while. It's incredible. Yeah. But it's here, right? I mean, yeah. and it's interesting that whether it was intu intuition or uh, just maybe a cool marketing idea initially, um, but like how it was something that you're like, no, this is, this is important. I just don't necessarily know how to talk about it yet. But the fact that you named it what you did is, is incredible. Um, I was so scared that people were going to not want to send their kids to summer camp because if they knew that I was dealing with that or they like wouldn't they wouldn't believe like nothing I said like that they wouldn't believe my words had value. I, and I was so wrong. And it took me a long time to realize like, wait a second, this actually gives me authority to speak on the stuff I'm saying because people will realize like, oh, okay, like this is, she's not just this like girl living this really awesome life. Like she has struggled too. Not that people look at me and they're like, she has the most fantastic life, but I have a very, very, very privileged life. And um, if you didn't know my struggles, I think it'd be very hard to read what I write and take it seriously. And so it, it had the opposite effect, gave me mm -hmm. more authority rather than take it away. Yeah. Yeah. The power of lived experience, um, and, and shared stories. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's a lot of what I talk about with uh, just the role that vulnerability needs to play in leadership or in conversations and relationships, right? Like it builds, it builds bridges, it builds way more bridges than it destroys, but we're convinced that most people will be turned off by us or like, or, or just like, or whatever. Um, so we, sometimes we don't open up and share those moments when in fact it creates uh it creates relatable times for us to be like, Oh wait, since I see myself in you, I actually want to walk the walk with you or have you help me walk the walk. It's uh, it's really powerful the way it, it works. Yeah. I don't know. It's like the same with parenting. Like I remember when I started talking to people about, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your baby, but like I used to be terrified of holding my, my child. So my parents, they have this like ledge, they have a split level house and this ledge overlooks their living room and is in the kitchen. And I used to never allow myself to stand with my child near that ledge because I had this fear of what if I just 
dropped her over the edge. Like, and just like mm-hmm. not trust me that a whole like, and then I'd be like, oh my God, like what kind of like monster of mother am I? I don't even consider it. And then once I like started mentioning it to people and other people like, oh my God, me too. I'm so scared that I'm going to just like drop my, like if they're on a hike, they don't go to the edge of their kids. It's like that, like that fear of like, what if I just did that? And those like thoughts we have that makes us think that we are alone and weird and crazy until you actually say it and you realize like, oh no, 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 I'm not crazy. We all are crazy. Like that feels good. <laughs> You're all psycho monsters. Yeah. But it's true though. Those things that we're afraid of, just like looking at your child and thinking of them dead at night. Like, you know, you want to love them. And then all of a sudden you're like, what if they were dead? And you're thinking, what kind of weird, like dark, twisted person am I? Until you realize like, oh, no, no, no. A lot of us have thought that. Now I understand at this point, everyone listening is like, I've never thought that. Well, screw you. Um, <laughs> you must poop skittles as well. But have you ever had those moments as a dad where you've like been had a thought that you're like, oh no, this isn't a good dad thought? I have, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's, it's been a few of them. I think one of them, uh, sometimes it often, this is selfish and I could probably explore a little more, uh, but a lot of times it's around me dying. Like what happens when I die? And like, there's so much more that I want to, um, there's so much more that I want to, do with with my son um and there's more life that i want to live with my wife and uh there's like times where i'm like it would be very selfish if you died right now james like you'd really you'd really fuck up a lot of things for a lot of people it'd be very rude of you um and and so like i think i think about that um i don't necessarily um i've thought about my son hurting himself like we just recently installed the the gates on the stairs right as he's as he's become more and more curious and mobile um it is uh, like that kind of idea of like him uh of him falling down the stairs and so and deeply hurting himself or something like that because of something that i could have easily prevented um like those are sometimes thoughts that i have for sure um i don't necessarily think about him dying necessarily um uh, but I do think about him hurting himself in such a way that would deeply impact the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's where my brain is going. I don't know if it's because my brain has stopped me from like, yep, that could also result in death, though, James. So let's go ahead and name that. I don't know if my brain's like, no. Uh, but yeah, I would say most of the thoughts that I've had around it are are more around something uh, deadly happening to me or something just dramatic happening to him. Well, and one thing I've changed is like, yeah, first of all, like it would be very selfish of you to die right now, and you script a lot of things, so don't do that. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just affirm <laughs> that fear, that story. Um, no, it's um, it would be very sad if you were to die, and you know what? I would make the trip to your funeral, I wow. would drive up there, I would do it for sure. I thought about that of certain friends who don't live. Well, I'm like, would I go to your funeral? And like, same with like family members, yeah. You make the list. Um, Big compliment. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, oh God, now I've said it, like people will be like, oh no, did she go? Because uh, that's what they'll all be wondering at your <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll post a photo. Um, so uh, it's, but it's like, I now, when I look at my kids, I do think of them dying. Like when they, when I say goodbye to them or I kiss them goodnight, like I think like, okay, you might not wake up in the morning. And how would that feel? Cause like, again, that momentum more like keeping that, like having that new relationship with death and the concept of death and loss and being like, it could happen. And so like, you better keep it on the forefront of your brain, not to be afraid of it, 
but to respect the time you have now. You you just you respect it so much more if you realize that it's it's not guaranteed, it's not promised. And you know, it's my husband's a firefighter, so he spends a hundred hours per week on the two different departments he's on uh, responding to calls. And a lot of those calls are people, um, you know, who die, they didn't see it coming. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't know that morning. Uh, so it's, it's really um, naive and ignorant of any of us to, to be selfish with our time. I think that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that uh, is of wasting time. And, you know, it's, and like that, that regret of being like, God damn it. Like, yeah. why was I like, why was I doing that? Why did I spend that time scrolling on Instagram? Why did I spend that time like worrying about that shit instead mm-hmm. of having time with those I love? Right. Why was I on James's podcast? Like, why did I do that? You know, <laughs> wasted an hour. Of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, a Bronx tale. Um, and uh, one of the quotes from that movie is uh, worst thing in life is wasted talent. Um, and, and, and I, I love that quote and I usually modify it almost identically to what you just said is the worst thing in life is wasted time. Um, mm-hmm. Right. This is, this is the moment that we have. Uh, I've said on here before, right. The earth's, what 4.6 billion years old 5.6 a lot of billion years old Mm -hmm. um and uh and you know we're i'm going to be around for 88 years right like this is the moment this is my moment that i've been given and so let's do something with it um you know 88 i I missed it did you do like a ouija do you know it's 88 years i don't that's just a number i'd be happy at okay that's fine with me if i make it to 88 Okay, cool. Just I don't wondering. want to be too presumptuous to be like, I'll make it to a hundred. I don't, I don't think I've lived the kind of life that enables me to do that yet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but 88 feels good. I feel like that beats most odds, but not quite all of them, you know? That works. That works. I was just wondering <laughs> if we had a confirmation of that from some. Yeah, no, I haven't Ouija board in a long time and forgot to ask that one last time I did. Um, <laughs> we just bought one yesterday for my kids. And That's so we, I've, I don't ever use it. I don't, like it i don't i have nothing against it i just am like why would i like in why i know no i don't trust myself with it (laughs) um and what it would get to my thoughts and last night my six-year-old came down scared in the middle of night because of the ouija board and i just turned to my husband i said this one's on you you deal with this one because you got it you're yeah yeah, you you got this one here you go (laughs) speaking of ouija boards let's talk about philosophy um (laughs) That is that is the philosophy I said. I call, that, I call that a transition in the business, Becky. All right, you just keep up where you need to. Um, <laughs> something you've talked about with me before, um, and uh, something you even talk about in some of the leadership consulting work that you do um, is your passion for Stoic philosophy. Um, and, and stoicism is something that you are, uh, in deep practice with, um, and belief of, right. For those of you playing at home, uh, I looked it up and here's a quick definition. Stoicism teaches the development of self-control and fortitude as means of overcoming destructive emotions. Um, and so, uh, but it is, it's a powerful philosophy, one that a lot of people often find to be cold. Um, but, uh, I don't necessarily, um, I don't necessarily think that I don't, I don't see it as that, but I'm wondering for you, when did you become passionate about philosophy and, and maybe specific, uh, specifically stoicism? Okay. So first of all, I think 
Stoicism was one of the most misunderstood philosophies as far as like being cold and all that. So like people think of stoic and like stoicism and you think of like the queen of England and that discussion like, oh, was she stoic enough? You know, like it's like in that, like, so stoic is like little s, right? And stoicism is the biggest of philosophy. So stoicism is not anti-emotion. It is not like, it's, it's the teaching, the ability to have emotions, but not let emotions have you, right? So it's in recognizing what's in your control and what isn't. Those would be kind of the thing. And it's very similar to the serenity prayer, right? Accepting things that aren't in control, letting go of what isn't, and, and, and hoping you can tell a difference of the two. Um, for me, I have been interested in stoicism longer than I knew I was interested in stoicism. So I, like my, my idea of mindfulness, my idea of philosophy, and like the writings I was doing – all were very in line with stoicism. And it was just, you know, a few years ago when I started, you know, kind of connecting the dots more. And I was like, what? Like, did you, I had no idea. These like old dudes in like ancient Roman times, like stole my ideas, motherfuckers. <laughs> um, I, and I was like, I finally found something that connected because as like someone who teaches mindfulness and like people think like meditation and yoga and especially like they see me and they're like, ah, oh, she's a, female, um, I think. And, you know, like she's mindfulness, so like I must be meditation and yoga. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like my mindfulness is, is stoicism. It is an action-based mindfulness. It is mm -hmm. a, you know, being, you know, there's um, a wonderful quote of Marcus Aurelius of like, be tolerant of others and strict with yourself. And I used to, this is like the quote that took me the longest time to to kind of work out. This is a quote that kept me from calling myself a stoic because I didn't agree with it because I kept hearing strict with yourself as being hard on yourself. And I finally was like, oh, no, 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 it's not. It's being tolerant with others and being strict with yourself in that recognizing like don't like being strict enough with yourself that you're not hard on yourself, that you recognize like where your boundaries are. You understand like where your values are and like holding yourself to that and not spending time beating yourself over shit up over shit that you shouldn't be. Um, so for me though, uh, a delay something that delayed my complete, like, you know, immersion in the stoic world is that, um, so there's a man called Ryan holiday. I don't know if you've heard of him at all. He's like the most, probably the most popular, like modern day stoic. He has the daily stoic podcast, which is a wonderful podcast. I mean, on par with this one, uh, which not many are. Uh, and <laughs> it is a very, very good podcast. It's a daily email. My husband, who's, uh, you know, he's very into mindfulness. He got a degree in like Eastern religion and he's, he was, he was a Buddhist when I met him. I don't think he's a Buddhist anymore. Um, I should clarify <laughs> that with him. I don't, I wouldn't call him a Buddhist anymore. Um, but he started getting into like Brian Holiday's stuff. And I'm somebody who like, if somebody tells me like, oh, you're going to love this or you need to watch this. I, like I get, I Asia don't like it. And mm. he had me watch a couple of Ryan Holiday stuff. And I was just um, not in a good place as, as I still really deal with the bulimia. And I don't know, it, it challenged me in a way I didn't want to be challenged. And I decided that I hated stoicism um, without knowing anything about it, only because my husband really liked it. And I was just being a butthead. I was being a total butthead. <laughs> and then like when I realized a couple of years later, like how much I, I did like it, I was like, oh no, I can't. Oh shit. Like I'm going to have to admit to my husband that like I like the same thing that he was liking then. Mm -hmm. 
And so I kind of kept it a secret for a little bit. And <laughs> then finally had to be like, like just like work it into the conversation. And he was really cool. He didn't rub it in my face. The fact that like I had, guy. he was really cool about it. He was much more mature than I would have been. But it's the same reason as to why like I didn't like Napoleon Dynamite, that movie when it came out. Because everyone told me it was the funniest movie ever. And I watched it and I was like, this is not funny. It was so. not. It was not a good, that was a, a highly overrated movie. Yeah. So I thought stoicism was going to be the same. And, and now to the point that I think Ryan Holiday, I think he, I, he does a fan. I, I'm a big fan of his. I like, I see why I thought he was a douchebag yeah. because of the mindset I was in. But now I see him for what he is, which is somebody who like does his own thing. And that's awesome. And he's yeah. really smart. So, mm -hmm. and his podcast is great as again, on par with yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> this philosophy of stoicism where it's, uh, I, I love how you put it. I don't know if that was your quote or somebody else's either way, way to steal it uh, or way to say it. Um, but the idea of stoicism is about having emotions, but not letting your emotions have you. No, um, that's mine or not. I just, well, I've always said it. Like, you know, it. I, there's um, no such thing as a, an original quote anymore these days. Like I'll Google it. We'll find out if Google us, if Google says it's yours, it's yours. Um, but now that is, uh, that is a powerful thought. Right, the ability to uh, uh, the ability to not let these things take over your brain, right? Especially in a world where anxiety runs rampant, um, and obviously depression runs rampant as well. But I feel like we're talking a lot more about anxiety lately than depression. It's currently winning the battle of the bottom, um, but uh, it is it, it, that thought is wildly contradictory to that of an anxious mind. Now, I, as someone who is diagnosed with anxiety, hear you say that and be like, that sounds lovely. Ain't going to happen. Well, that sounds lovely. Um, and so I'm wondering, I'm wondering how does one, besides listening to Ryan Holiday, as you keep marketing somebody else's podcast on mm -hmm. this show, um, <laughs> but I've listened to it too, and it actually is quite good. Um, so feel free to check out the Daily Stock. Um, but still, <laughs> um, but how does one begin that process? Like, how did you begin that process of kind of almost getting out of your own way to be able to hear it and then feel it and then finally live it? So here's my downfall is my integrity is like my, <laughs> I, I like my integrity is so important to me that when I realize, like, okay, this is my thing. Stoicism is my thing. And, and I don't, and I've spent the time, you know, I've read all the original works, multiple translations. Like I spent a lot of time reading ancient Roman texts and it's not like, that's not a beach read. Um, but it's, uh, so, you know, it's like really getting to it. Once I realized like, okay, this is going to be my thing. I can't handle hypocrisy and I can't handle saying like, Hey, I believe in this and then I'm not living it myself. So mm -hmm. having made that decision, just like when I decided to like go into recovery with bulimia, like I just decided, I was like, okay, going to do it. And once I make a decision, I, I'm pretty much set in it. And so how did I do this? It was kind of having that non-negotiable with myself of I cannot act one way in, in, in my personal life and then show up another way on social media. Mm. So I and I'm not perfect at all. I, take a moment. I know, but, um, but like it's, uh, Whoa. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> Took a little while to get there for you. Um, I'm not perfect, but I own it when I'm, when I'm not. And so there's, you know, when it comes to anxiety, right? It, and again, it helps that I have a partner who 
who calls me on it and I call him out on it. Um, he doesn't always enjoy it. Um, and he's like, stop trying to like stoicism me. I was like, I'll stoic you all day long, sir. Um, uh, but that very, idea, talks very weird. Very, it is very, yeah. It's very <laughs> Turn on, like, give me some like John Oliver last week tonight or whatever that show called. And mm-hmm. like some stoic philosophy and I'm good. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's recognizing the simplicity. Yeah. And that's what I love about, about stoicism. And I, yeah, the comment. Damn, you insulin pump. Um, so, uh, hey, I'm finally heading down the right direction. Thank God. Um, uh, so, <laughs> and I mentioned this to you in another conversation, which is, in my cooking classes, my hope is, and I tell people this. I say, I hope you leave this class thinking, oh my God, why the hell did I just pay for this? That was so easy. And if you leave thinking that, then I know I've done my job. And you're actually going to like use what you learned in your life. The same goes to stoicism. It is so simple. And, and I love it. And I love being able to go in and make it simple for people. And, and recognizing like what's in your control. You can only control your own thoughts, your words, and your actions. You can't control anything else. And my goodness, like we have enough to deal with if we just focus on controlling our words and thoughts, right? And even yeah. our actions. And, and to let go of that your life just becomes more simple. So when shit goes wrong, be like, okay, cool. Like, what of that can I control? Identify it, you know, deal with that and then and let the rest go. And it's not, it's not being like a blob and just like adapting whatever comes because again, you have this like framework of your, your values and your moral, um, you know, non-negotiables in which you go through life. You know, the Stoics talk about, you know, virtue. But you're, you have the agility, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't walk around with a stick up your ass. You have a backbone. You know, there's yeah. a difference. And um, a backbone bends, sticks up ass is stoned. And so just the difference there is, is important, I think. And the, one of the most powerful things is I just remind myself, like, we don't always get our rathers. And that was a quote from F, um, or Teddy Roosevelt, who one of my favorite presidents. And he was a huge stoic. But, like, he was on his camping trip. And everything was going wrong. He's with his friend and like the weather was shit. The supplies are crappy. Like everything that could go wrong went wrong. And the storm was coming in and he turned to his friend who was like whistling as he was like hitching up the horses. And he says like, I'd rather I wouldn't storm. And his friend looked at him and says, well, it doesn't look like we're getting our rathers on this trip, does it? And I kept on whistling. And I love that concept of being like, we don't always get our rathers. And like, that's it. And so there's... You know, amor fati is Latin for embrace your fate, love your fate. So when it comes at you, just embrace it. You mm-hmm. can't change it, so embrace it. So that's why I like, that's how I kind of use it. As far as anxiety goes, um, there's a, a great one. Um, Epictetus, my favorite um, philosopher, says, said, uh, when I see an anxious person, I ask myself, what do they want? Because if it's something outside of their control, why would they be anxious? And it's so true. Like if you are wanting something outside of your control, like you, you can't, you can't get it. You don't have control over it. Mm-hmm. So don't be anxious about it. Let it go. And, and, and it's just makes your life simple. Boom. Yeah. Done. But yeah. This is sorry. I'm sitting with this because there's a lot to chew on, as always, <clears throat> and why I appreciate our conversations. 
I love this philosophy because it sounds, it sounds like a lighter way to live. It truly is. Uh, you know, you're able to let more stuff go. Uh, you're able to kind of focus on what matters, and you're, you're better able to prioritize. Um, and you know, anytime you're able to channel your energy more specifically, instead of into 500 things, if you can channel it into five, um, then you're also more productive. You also feel uh, more complete. You all, like there's a whole a whole bunch of benefits to it all. Um, so it sounds great. Um, and uh, I believe that it is possible. One thing for me that I think where I struggle, one area where I struggle with this, besides the anxiety, which is which is surmountable, um, but uh, and so is what I'm about to say as well, but it, st- it still is a sticking point, where for me, a lot of my, am I good enough? Am I funny enough? Am I hot enough? Am I successful enough? Am I happy enough? Am I uh, whatever enough? A lot of that, I am still struggling on letting myself be the bar as opposed to letting other people set the bar for me. Um, Right. And like, just that idea of like, uh, of just the idea of asking ourselves the question of, would you, would you rather be liked or respected? Now, obviously the dream is to be both. um, But ultimately respect is the answer but I don't necessarily know if a lot of my actions and the way that I carry myself or the way that I weigh other people's thoughts um, or what they think about me would show that that is my answer to that question. I think it would lean more towards like, oh, this guy wants to be liked more than respected. Now, And so in thinking about the idea of stoicism, it is very appealing for the reasons that I outlined before. And it's also going to take some work. I know for me to bring all of that thought, all of those thought processes in house, instead of farming them out to uh, external processor or not external, you know, external sources or manufacturing sites, right? Like I got to bring it, I got to bring it in. Um, and that is something that I've been trying to work on. I work on it in counseling, but that is something that is, uh, that is hard for me to do. And I, I, I just offer that up, not as a counterpoint, but just as a, here's a place where this sounds good, but I got some things I got to work on in order to actually truly be able to do it. And here are some of the bigger places for me. I'd be curious to hear about your thoughts on that or giant criticisms. I'm fine either way. Either way. Um, <laughs> one of the same. Um, you know, the, the best thing, so much of, where I think it works on is like realizing like your self-worth, right? So you look outside for that is I like to practice like fact checking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Stow is a lot of philosophies. A lot of rhetoric is all about like, you know, really like bringing up emotions in people and you want to learn how like, you know, speak in a way like politicians speak in a way that like excite people and, 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 and like passions, all that. Right. Stoicism goes the opposite direction. So instead of saying like, oh my gosh, like I totally bombed that speech and like, no, like, oh my God, they hated it. And I know I didn't make anyone laugh, all that stuff. Like watching our language, the words we use, we are constantly using hyperbole, right? And we're constantly using like judgment words instead of labeling things for what it is. And so for you, it's like, you know, 
do people like you? Do they respect you? Like looking at like, okay, what, what's demonstrated one or the other? You know, like if I say like, if I, after we're done at this and I say to my husband, like, oh man, like it didn't go well at all. Like, oh my God, like it totally sucked. And like, if and Bill was like, okay, well, how do you know that? And if I had to like stop and actually like put that out and like, well, do I actually have any facts for that? Or, um, you know, I use the term, and again, you don't have, he's not old enough yet, but maybe some listeners have older kids that take showers. Um, I love this thing of my kids, my older daughters were really upset yelling at my younger daughter. And I had to like, feel like, do I have to deal with this? And I realized I did. And they're upset. They said she didn't, she did a really bad job of showering. Like she just, she didn't take a good shower, mom. I was like, well, what do you mean? She was only in there for like two minutes. I was like, okay, well, let's see what happened. Like she took a quick shower. She showered quickly. Your judgment is she showered poorly. And, and you know, recognizing the difference of those two. And Mm -hmm. the same goes with when we're looking at our judgments. Are we enough? Like, how are we labeling things, both ourselves? Like, how are you even labeling if what respect looks like? And if someone likes, looks like, and, um, I am very much a fan of the fact of knowing like I can't control if someone respects me. That's outside of my control. I can control if I have dignity, mm-hmm. like, but respect outside of my control. If someone likes me, I can't control it. And no one's obligated to like me. And so it's a lot easier to go that route. I, however, have to live with myself. So how do I turn it inside instead of farming out and like putting external processes and all the other goat far- factories that were sending this stuff to be made? Um, it's always hold, doing the simple thing of like, if it's not right, don't do it. If it's not true, don't say it. And that's the Marcus Aurelius quote. And if I just go through my day doing the next right thing, doing like holding myself to that, because if I lie, if I do something bad, if I do it, like it hurts me, not the other person. If you're a dick to me, that doesn't hurt me at all because I don't have to live with the fact that you are a dick. You have to live with the fact that you are a dick, you know, and, and no one wants to live with that. And so, and, and the same goes to how I talk to myself. So mm-hmm. being really selfish in that, like, I want to have a good, I want to feel good about myself in the day. So I just keep it simple. If it's not right, don't do it. If it's not true, don't say it. And that involves walking by a piece of trash on the floor and like not picking up and realizing, damn it, I have to pick it up because that was the right thing to do. Going back and picking it up and putting it in the trash can, Mm -hmm. like start small on those small little things. And like, be like, that's my worth. My self-worth is the fact that I recognize what's right and what isn't. The, the, the Stoas have a thing of, it's not events themselves that upset us, but our judgments of them. So we, something happens and you have to decide, like, can you build in that moment, you know, take that moment to to reflect of like, okay, am I going to ascend? Am I going to like ascend to this? Am I going to like allow myself to make a judgment of this? Like, is this good or bad? Or am I going to be like, no, I'm not going to like engage in that. So if you were to like start like tapping your fingers on your desk and like kind of like tilt your head and kind of look off. I will have to take that moment to be like, okay, am I going to see that and make a judgment that James is bored right now? Or am I going to just be like, cool, he tapped his fingers, he moved his head. That's all that is. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if that makes sense. So just like going really small and detailed on that of everything of just getting curious. Yeah. What you do. One of the early, one of the early guests here on Diner Talks was Stacey Nato Kirsten. And she talks about one of her, her, her quotes that I love is fact check the inner critic. Um, and, uh, I hear, I hear that in what you're saying as well. Um, and it is, uh, it's powerful. It's powerful to think about. It's powerful to think about. And, uh, I also love, I love, I love how, you know, another, another reason to think more about it is, you know, makes us less judgy, less judgy of others, less judgy of ourselves. Um, it just, it just puts a little separation in there. Not everything is attached, um, right? Not everything is uh, because this happened then everything else is all bad, um, right? There is, there doesn't have, like there is a detachment between some of these things. And if we handle them each as, individual things as opposed to like, oh, the dominoes are falling, everything's terrible, then we're able to stop spiraling. We're able to stop some of the stories. We're able to just attack things at their core um, and in, in the little minutia, in the little moments, as opposed to this big dramatic thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate you're that. You're not that special. Like, that's what I like to tell people, which by the way, made the mistake of, of giving that line, like, you're not that special. And I was talking to a bunch of first graders mm-hmm. um, about like, mindfulness and stuff and like about the whole concept is you're not that special like the world the universe doesn't align to make your day horrible mm-hmm. um you know the whole i wrote a, a post about the whole idea of like we obviously ah oh, when it rains it pours well no it doesn't like sometimes it just rains and like sometimes <laughs> it sprinkles like it doesn't always have to fucking pour man but like the minute it starts to rain everybody starts looking for it to pour and if you yeah. do that you are guaranteed to find yourself like a tsunami somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like you will find that confirmation bias is, is dangerous. And, you know, the world though is not out to get you. Like people don't care enough about you to rearrange their day to make your, your life hell. And yet we go about our day taking everything so personally. And and even our own actions, like it's like you screw up. And you're like, God damn it. Like, why did I do that? Like, oh man, such a bad decision. Like, no, often like we make, good decisions and the mm-hmm. outcome sucks. And one thing we do, you know, we teach archery and there's a big thing like the stoic archer and that idea of, you know, everything up to that moment when the, the arrow leaves the bow is in your control. Once that arrow leaves the bow, it's out of your control. So our focus is not where it hits on that target. It's like, are you doing everything right leading up to that moment? And, you know, people will, will look at something and say like, oh, that was a really bad decision and, and beat themselves up. And they're judging that decision based on the outcome, which is outside their control. And if you look back, like, no, like a lot of those times, like we make good decisions and it just doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And that's applied to like, same with like people, like if someone wins the lottery, be like, oh man, that was a really good decision I made to buy that lottery ticket. Like, no, that was a really bad decision <laughs> to buy a lottery ticket because the lottery is not like, that's not a good decision to make. <laughs> Your odds are not good. You got lucky. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so in the same goes to you. So like, give yourself a little bit more grace in that. Yeah. Um, even though she died 10 years ago. <laughs> Shout out to grace, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
You know, Becky, one thing that you've been doing uh, a lot more and more lately is leadership consulting, using some of these ways of life and applying a lot of stoicism to leadership. Um, as you mentioned, you've been doing a ton of research um, and reading uh, you know, ancient Roman texts. Shout out to Epictetus. I was wondering if Epictetus was going to make an appearance in here. I'm glad he did. Uh, how you doing, bud? Thanks for joining the show. Uh, one of the sponsors of the show, actually, Epictetus. <laughs> um, so uh, the referral code doesn't work anymore because you don't have the stone tablet. But, nope. um, <laughs> but still, the... <laughs> um, but you know, I'm, I'm wondering, connect, connect the dots for me. You know, how do you, how do you apply some of this stuff to the leadership consulting? Like how does like, what does your leadership consulting look like when thinking about it through this lens? Okay. I can connect some dots for you. Quick little side story. One of my most embarrassing moments in elementary school was in kindergarten. We had to do those uh, connect the dot type, like, mm -hmm. like picture things. I connected the numbers, not the dots. And so my unicorn was like oddly shaped and I got shamed by the teacher on that one. Never forgot it. So when it says connect the dots, I'm like, yes, not the numbers. Because um, if you connect the numbers, your unicorn looks funky. Uh, you get teased. Um, you got a little work to do on that one, don't I? Yeah, the, the, with this, the, I love doing mindful leadership consulting. And my approach to mindful leadership is this, like, like, it's about can you stay in the moment while also keeping that perspective, right? Like a mindful leader, like you got to be agile enough and have the perception to identify like, okay, do we need to stick on this path or do we need to make adjustments? You know, mm -hmm. do we, what are the needs of that moment while also not forgetting that, hey, there's something else down, down the road we got to think of so it's a reflection and the ref, uh, your reflexes and your reflection right so teaching that that reflex you know what is that reflex you have so when i go into businesses and maybe it's the culture needs help maybe they have specific um employees they want me to work with or sometimes it's going through the whole strategic planning process and so this spring we'll have all new full day workshops out here where it is going through strategic planning and doing team building, um, cooking stuff. And I have my own version of like a SWOT analysis, right, that we go through. But what I really kind of drill in is this idea of reflex and reflection. And I never ask anybody to do something I wouldn't do, which is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Fact about me is I had a speech impediment as a child where I said my R's was W's. My name is Rebecca Russo, which means it was Rebecca Wusso um, when I was a kid. And so having my think view about reflexes and, you know, reflection is basically like being like, hey, you know what, let's just like dance around this like fire pit a little bit because every time I have to say any R words, I still like have to think on it. So like I put myself in that place for everyone else so we can all be fools together. But a lot of leaders, right, that, that reflex and something goes wrong when they get scared, when, when an obstacle gets in the way, is the reflex is a knee jerk, is to go as far away from it as possible. And is usually like go to the other extreme, right? It's like, yeah, get, get away from me. What I teach is the reflex of, I call kind of like, for me, it's like the mom car arm. 
her arm. So when you're driving and you have to like swerve or so, you know, you put your arm out to like hold back your kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or like your bottle of wine or beer or whatever you have in the seat that you're like, <laughs> I got to keep this safe. Um, you kids are tucked in back, but I have kids now who can, are older to sit in the front seat. So like putting your arm there, right. To hold them. We all experience that at some point growing up. That reflex is you are first of all, the leader going towards the problem, not going away. And you're not, you're not going the opposite direction. You're just saying, hey, hey, let's stop right here. Like, let's not let this get any worse. And you're putting yourself in between, you know, your employees, whoever you're leading and the issue. And you're taking that moment. So that reflex, that still reflex needs to be building in that space. So you can then decide, you know, like what this, you know, object is, whatever just happened, is it an obstacle or an opportunity? Because it may be like, oh, wait, wait, okay, never mind. We, we actually do want to keep going this way, right? Like at first it looked weird, but it looked wrong, but this is actually where we need to go. Or it's like, hey, let's stop this and let's look at where we need to go. That reflection, leaders either do reflection in a way of like no reflection at all. I hear all right. this all the time of this is how we've always done it. So it's how we're going to do it. To which I say, cool, you also use shit in a diaper. I don't think you do that anymore. So maybe change is good. Um, I always appreciate that one. Uh, and then um, the other reflection is uh, the whole like, hey, okay, yeah, no, I see there's a problem. We're going to um, create a, a committee oversight committee to oversight this committee if, if we need to do a committee about this, right? <laughs> of like, yeah. let's just like leave this to die. And again, it's not about me. I'm going to make someone else solve it. Whereas... For me, the, the reflection you need to take as a leader is, is vulnerable accountability. It's mm. that saying like, hey, um, I recognize that this is on me. Wasn't this my fault? Like, like Julie, you really screwed the pooch on this one. Um, but like, I am the leader. It's so, oh, you probably shouldn't say it in the workplace. Um, classic uh, Julie. Classic <laughs> Julie. Uh, screw the pooch is one of my favorite sayings. And I, I still hold true on that one. Uh, uh, um, but... But I say, like, it's your job as a leader. So it's that reflection, that accountability is saying, hey, like, I need a moment. Like, I need to, like, take, I'm going to think on this, like, and we're going to come up with a plan. But the, the stoic pras- practice of pre-meditatio malorum is, like, the pre-meditation of evils. It's mm. when you go through something as a leader, you've already thought through all the things that could go wrong, right? Yeah. So when that deer jumps in the middle of the road and you got to put your arm out and stop it, you are able to recognize, you're like, okay, that's this. We talked about this. So like, remember, this is our plan to deal with that. And you just get more practice. And then at some point, it's going to be a fucking zebra. And you didn't think about a zebra in front of the road, right? And so, but you've thought about everything else and you're in that mindset of understanding that just because something hasn't gone as planned doesn't mean that we need to knee jerk and, and freak the fuck out. Right, um, sure. And so- Taking that approach to it, being really honest of, you know, taking the time because your reflection is not only internal, but it's what you're putting out there, right? A reflection is what other people are seeing. And leaders forget about that. And it doesn't have to be your managerial position. You can be a front desk, you know, secretary and and be a leader because Mm -hmm. you're also going to be dealing with obstacles all day long and, and be able to identify if it's a, you know, opportunity. Um, and if it's, if you can't find a way to make an opportunity, then you realize we don't always get our rathers and you, you make the most of it. Mm. That's my approach to that one. 
There you go, Becky. Mm-hmm. That's awesome that you've been able to work with a number of different clients and, and do that work with them uh, that I'm sure uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to eat your own words. It's hard to, uh, to be like, ah, crap, we are doing that. Or we are, we are stuck in a rut or we have been, you know, we're in this pattern where we keep saying this. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to get people to realize that sometimes they have to kill their darlings uh, or whatever it is, that thing that they really held true. We're like, well, no, this is the way we've got here. And this is what's going to keep us, whatever. This is, this is what the customer wants, or this is what the client needs or, um, and, you know, and, and just how do we get people out of their own way to actually make the choices they need to make the hard choices they need to make sometimes to, uh, to be able to serve the right people. Um, and so mm-hmm. in the best way possible, there's uh, always somebody benefiting from the inefficiencies is what I recognize. And I just had to send out a hard email this last week to somebody who, you know, basically saying like, Hey, like I, you know, I, I realized that the, one of the people who hired me to come in is the person that's standing in the way of these changes happening. And I just said, I was like, I don't want to waste your time and money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you got to make a decision. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get like, you got to, you got to be willing to go all in. And and that's one of the things I've been very clear on is like, kind of like, and like integrity always gets in my way. Cause I should just like keep taking their money and like, but I, um I don't want to, yeah. I want results. And into looking at the fact of who's, who's benefiting from things not running well, because somebody is. Yeah. I love it. it. Yeah. Becky, I appreciate you for hanging out and and kicking it in the diner with me, dropping some knowledge, telling us about your past, talking to us about stoicism and how it applies both to life and trying to help me get out of my own way, um, trying to let these feelings not control me. Um, and so uh, I just, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your ability to, uh, teach, um, laugh, um, and, uh, and, and tell stories at the same time. It really is. Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. You have a true gift. Um, and, it, and I'm proud to call you a friend and really excited that you wanted to come to the diner today, friend. I'm, I'm happy it worked out. I appreciate you. Uh, you rescheduling. We were supposed to do it last week, but Santa came and I think I appreciate you recognizing that Santa beats you you can't you know the last thing i need is coal in the stocking you know no. what i mean no. <laughs> you are you are very funny and i'm excited my 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 11 year old listens to your podcast as well and she thinks you're very funny so well awesome i hope she thinks yeah. you're a big deal because now you're on it um <laughs> uh and if she doesn't then she's right um yeah. but <laughs> point. Very, very true that's why i said nothing so i'm like that's on, yeah, the right on the wall this is a wonderful podcast and man it has you have guests that just blow my socks off my feet because um they're really good so i am I'm proud of you kid Thanks, homie. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, added another one to the list today. Becky, thank you so much. How can people stay in touch with you, Becky? What, what can we? What can people do if they want to learn more about the consulting or if they want to learn more about what you're doing in Becky's Mindful Kitchen or some of the parenting workshops you do, stuff like that? No, fantastic question. Uh, I prefer a carrier pigeon for Great. all communications. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Okay. Yep. Uh, and if that doesn't work for you, uh, mm-hmm. then uh, the, the my website so easy. It's just Becky's mindful kitchen.com or Facebook or Instagram, Becky's mindful kitchen. It's very easy. It's very simple. Um, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> luckily there's not many Becky's with mindful kitchens out there. Uh, so it worked out, but yeah, they can, you can message me there and I do respond to every message. 
Love it. <clears throat> Becky, thank you so much for coming through and kicking it in the diner. I look forward to our paths crossing in real life at some point. Definitely. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully right, not just at your funeral. Ugh. Yay. And it's dark. And it's dark. And it dark. And it dark. Build a goat factory in my honor. All right. <laughs> you take care, Becky. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Y'all, that was my time with Becky Smoke. She is an incredible human being with just a it's been through some stuff y'all as you mentioned as she mentioned she talked about having bulimia type 1 diabetes almost uh near near death experiences she's also uh she's got a, a husband who's an incredible man and a firefighter um a fire chief at that um and uh and she also runs this farm with a bunch of goats running around she's going to take up falconry for fun she's teaching archery because it's a way to teach stoicism just a lot of really cool layers in this episode. I hope that you all enjoyed it and I hope that you all will see, could try to do the same work that I'm trying to do. I mean, trying to separate yourself from some of those outcomes and trying to control what you control and let go of what you cannot just sounds easier. Sounds lovely. Sounds lighter. I think we deserve that. Well, while we start attack that small journey, my friends until next time. Let me remind you to keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care and be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.